Hello and welcome to another episode of Des and Marco, the podcast that you all love. Oh, that's so sweet, man. How are you, Des? I'm not too bad. How are you? I'm doing amazing. Let's jump right into our beers. What did you pick this week? I'm not sure. In the sense that I know what it is. It's Brewdog. And this particular beer is the OG Hazy. And I think it's a variant of the Hazy Jane. And it's a New England IPA. But I honestly don't know what the OG stands for. And a special shout out to the sponsor of this beer, which surprisingly isn't Brewdog, but is P-Tech Mechanical. You know you're listening. Okay, how about you? Mine isn't sponsored. So I got a beer from the Waterland or Waterland Brewery here in the Netherlands. It's a wheat beer and it's called Marker Macht, which translates to the virgin from Marken. Wow. What's special about Marken? It's a tiny little island here. Oh. I don't know any virgins there. Ooh, player. (laughs) Yeah, you know me. (laughs) All right. Cheers. Cheers, man. Okay, so Marco, let's kick off with our now customary and legendary news segment. Yeah, but before we do that, a little follow up on uh, previous episodes. And I think we should start or I should start with an apology. So you know, those people that will believe anything they see on the internet and then go and tell even more people. Does that really happen? Yeah, and I'm one of them. What? (laughs) Yeah. So a few episodes ago, I mentioned that Volkswagen wanted to rebrand their electric car branch in the US to Volkswagen. Yes. And I clearly said that that was BS. Yeah. And I said, of course, it can't be BS. And it turns out it was a very badly done April Fool. If I'm not mistaken, it was planned as an April Fool's, but the news leaked and the Volkswagen press office or whatever was unsure how to deal with it. And so they said, no, no, it's real, thinking that they'll just keep the joke going until April Fool's. And then some people got really angry about it. Yeah, and it all blew over before April 1st. Yeah, because I think it snowballed a little joke. And then a lot of people were kind of like, oh my God, they're changing name, they're rebranding and this is the new Volkswagen following the diesel scandal. And I think they were like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Oh, sorry, nine, nine, nine. (laughs) Yeah, I guess this is German humor for you. Nevertheless, Marco, I'm sure you haven't done anything worse than that. Well, that depends. I mean, I've downloaded an MP3 once, but I'm very sorry about it still. But I'm sure you've learned your lesson and that you now fact check everything. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course. Hint, hint. (laughs) Okay. So when I did my little review of Seaspiracy, the Netflix documentary, you know, it's on Netflix. It must be true, no? Oh, Marco, if the listeners could see me right now, I'm shaking my head. While drinking a beer. Nevertheless, after we talked about it, Des found like a few articles and a few social media posts basically debunking everything the guy on Seaspiracy said. I don't think it was a debunking. I think it was just like a fact check because a lot of the things mentioned are true, but they're taken out of context and some of the solutions he proposes don't address the problem at all. The particular one was the veganism in the sense that he was like, oh, there's so much plastic in the oceans. We need to go vegan. It's like, but that's not addressing the cause of the plastic. Yeah, that won't reduce the amount of plastic in the sea. And to be honest, when I watched it, I thought the conclusion or the call to action was a little bit extreme. He spends an hour, an hour and a half talking about everything that's wrong with the sea and how the fishing industry is damaging the environment and the ecosystem. And therefore, you need to be vegan. 
it seemed a bit extreme. There seems to be a trend nowadays of documentaries that say, you know, the fishing industry, the meat industry, or whatever other industry, they're bad for the environment. And I don't deny that it is. But the answer is always like, you need to go plant-based. And yeah, sure, I recognize that that's a, that there's a benefit to that if the majority of people started eating less meat and fish. But that's not the only solution. I was reading, for example, that we're told that we should recycle and that we shouldn't be using, you know, plastic straws. And like, if you reduce your meat intake by like 30%, it already makes a huge difference. But then there's like 100 corporations that make up 70% of all the CO2 emission in the air. Food for thought. Exactly. But now let's get into the actual news. And Des, you wanted to start? Yes. So remember we spoke about the Snyder Cut? Yes. It seems to have become a trend now that every single film or whatever that people weren't quite happy about or people just want an alternative version of, they are in jest asking for different cuts. You may know there is the new Disney Plus TV series, not Captain America, what's it called? Ah, uh, Falcon and yeah, the Falcon Winter and Soldier. the Winter Soldier or something. Yeah. I haven't watched it. I'm not even interested in it. However, apparently in one of the more recent episodes, there is a scene with a very good actor, Daniel Bruhl, who is a German actor who became famous with Goodbye Lenin, and he was Nicky Lauda in Rush. Good actor. So he's a really good actor. Really good actor. And he is one of the bad guys, apparently, called Zemo. Yeah, because he was also in Civil War. Yes, he plays exactly the same character, I think. And there's a scene of him dancing in the club, which I think is only like five minutes long or something along those lines. Okay. But they released the entirety of the footage of him dancing, which is one hour of him dancing as Zemo in a club. <laughs> and it's now available freely on YouTube. And I think that is just such a fun thing to do. And they're calling it the Zemo cut. But is it like nonstop? It's just him dancing for an hour. But, like, he doesn't even take breaks or anything. He just keeps dancing. It's just a montage of him dancing for an hour. Oh, okay. It's a montage. But it's okay. great. Like, I just think it's so much fun that they were like, yeah, let's just put the scene of him in a club, all the takes, and make it into one massive shot. All right. I'll check it out. We'll link it to the description. Next up, this week, there is a holiday that both Des and I are very fond of. Des, happy Gagarin Day. Happy Gagarin Day to you, too. <laughs> and this week, it's the 60th anniversary of mankind's first orbit in space. Yes, and quite a fascinating story. So apart from achieving what was for many centuries just a dream for mankind, Yuri Gagarin, on this day, 60 years ago, went out into space, did one full orbit of the planet, and came back down in under 90 minutes, I think, or just over 90 minutes and change the future as we know it. Yeah, and essentially started the space race between the US and the USSR. And thanks to that space race, we have a whole heap of technological innovations, including satellite television, GPS, telecommunications, and a space station. And let's not forget the moon landing and current plans for colonization of planets which are even further afield. And it all started with one man in a little rickety rocket 60 years ago. And one thing that blows my mind as an aviation enthusiast is the fact that it took us so little to go from the first flight of the Wright brothers to getting to space. Yeah, it took like, what, 50 years? Something like that. I can't remember what year exactly was the first flight of the Wright brothers, but it was less than 50, 60 years. And we went from not flying to flying in space, which is pretty cool. 
But anyway, I have a fun story about Yuri Gagarin's first flight. I was reading this article earlier today. And basically, this was the Soviet Union, and this was the 60s. And we didn't have all the media and all the news that we have nowadays. And especially on the other side of the Iron Curtain, news didn't really get out much. So upon re-entry, the capsule that Gagarin was in, the Vostok, it was basically designed for the pilot to eject from it after the initial re-entry. And so he would just parachute down from the sky. Reason being, it's a lot easier to design a parachute which was already available, rather than design a landing mechanism or a landing parachute for the whole capsule. Gagarin basically got out of the spacecraft and parachuted safely back to Earth. Wow, man, that takes some balls. Yeah, but I mean, you're also the first man ever to go to space, which is pretty awesome. No, I know, but imagine you're descending down in the Vostok capsule, you've done an orbital re-entry, you then have to open the capsule, which must be difficult yeah. Falling down to Earth at God knows what speed. And then you're going to jump out and live. Yeah, pretty much. But also, you know, it was the 60s and it was the Soviet Union. So I don't think Gagarin's safety was <laughs> their top priority. Living in the Soviet Union was way overrated. Yeah, exactly. And anyway, because of the fact that it's the Soviet Union, if he would not have made it, no one would have known. And fun fact on that, the International Aeronautic Federation, which has a French name, which I'm not going to try pronouncing, they wouldn't certify it as an official flight unless he had landed within the capsule. Like, if you get out of the capsule and land on your own, that doesn't count. And the Soviet Union basically, like, continued denying it until, like, the 70s, until 1971, when they were like, yeah, okay, he got out on a parachute. My opinion is... He went to space, he came back, that flight counts. If I'm not mistaken, that's exactly why the Federation changed the rules. Yeah. I think there was this rumor, but then they kind of said like, well, he came back down to Earth safely, so that's what matters. Yeah, and it's not like he parachuted out because there was something wrong with the capsule. It was just how it was designed. You know, like if you're a fighter pilot and you parachute out, then your flight is probably not really complete because the plane is made to land, but the capsule wasn't. Unless you're a Japanese pilot during the Second World War. Yeah. (laughs) Shout out to our Japanese friends. We have none, by the way. We have 0% listeners from Japan. So now's the time to tell your Japanese friends about this podcast. Yeah. So anyway, Because there was, I mean, again, Soviet Union, the 60s, it was a brand new technology. There was a slight failure to their power supply to the range and acceleration measuring system. That meant that the engines cut off slightly after they should have. And so he ended up landing like 80 kilometers further than originally planned. And so this was the middle of Kazakhstan and there was no one around. Uh, or at least no one from the government or from the space agency to pick him up. He ended up landing in a like a potato field where there was this five-year-old girl with her grandmother who were planting potatoes. And this five-year-old tells the story about how she sees a man fall from the sky and she sees like two red balls, which I guess were was the was the capsule. And he was all like in a bright orange suit. They come and he, Yuri Gagarin, is like super happy because he came back alive and he didn't burn in the re-entry. The grandmother just basically like has a conversation with him and she's like, where did you come from? And he's like, from the ship. What ship? There's no water nearby. It's Kazakhstan, by the way. And he was like, 
I am from the sky. <laughs> and nobody like understood what he was saying because it's like, what's this crazy man on about? Like he falls from the sky and like at the beginning, the five year old girl, she thinks like he's like a, some kind of monster. And then like as he removes his spacesuit and his helmet, she sees that he's like a guy and he's like, no, come on. I'll, sh- I'll go show you my capsule. Her, the grandmother's like top priority is planting potatoes. She tells her grandkid to stay there because like, animals were coming and eating the potatoes because they were left unattended so you're like you guard the potatoes and then they went to the capsule and the fact that the ussr had not advertised this at all because they weren't sure whether gagarin was going to make it or not so they were going to announce it after the flight like you know hey he survived we're the first in space good for us let's have vodka and so like nobody knew about this especially not a, a farmer After like a while, government helicopters came to pick him up. Everybody kind of realized that something huge had happened. I have got another fun fact regarding this. You know the iconic pictures of him in the shuttle strapped with the helmet with the CCCP written on it? Yeah. That CCCP was hand-painted by the lead engineer half an hour before takeoff. Really? No one until then had actually considered... What if he was to land somewhere other than the Soviet Union? Or even if he was to land in the Soviet Union, how would they know he isn't a spy? Right. And apparently all it takes to convince people that you're not a spy is to say, I am not a spy on the top. (laughs) It's just some red paint. (laughs) So just some red paint is all that it takes. They hand painted it literally like an hour or whatever before the flight, really soon before the flight. As an afterthought, wait a minute, if he lands, how will they know he's not American or whatever? And so they said, oh, we'll just paint CCCP on his helmet. And they're like, good idea. And now it's iconic. You know, you can't imagine the helmet without it. Yeah, true. So happy Gagarin Day. We should have drank vodka for this episode as a salute. We should drink vodka every episode. Why limit ourselves to one? Why limit ourselves to while recording? Let's just always drink vodka. Exactly. (laughs) I'm I'm sure we can function fine in our professions by uh, even if we're drunk out of our minds. Okay, I've got some hype and type for this episode, which I think might be interesting to our listeners. Go for it. So you liked the Amazon series, The Boys. I did. Let's clarify the Amazon series. Yes. <laughs> Amazon have released another superhero themed series. It's animation. Okay. I was utterly blown away by this. The voice cast is just incredible. So J.K. Simmons, who yes. is an Oscar winner and he's done a lot of stuff. He's great as a comedian. He's great as a serious actor. You should watch Whiplash if you want to see a very intense, dramatic portrayal of a sort of musical genius at work. Yeah. And he was, uh, what's the name of uh, Peter Parker's boss in Spider-Man? The director of the Daily Bugle. Yes. Who's quite iconic with his laughter and his energy. He's he's become a meme. Yes. So he's the voice of one of the main characters, as well as Maharsala Ali, Mm -hmm. who is the actor who won two Oscars for Green Book, where he's the African-American pianist traveling across America. Yes, yes, yes. That's such a great film. Great film and great actor, like amazing. And he's also wanted for Moonlight, which was another maybe Amazon-sponsored movie. But again, this is voice cast for animation, which is mind-boggling. Sorry to interrupt. It's J. Jonah Jameson. Who? 
the director of the Daily Bugle, so Spider-Man's boss. <laughs> okay, moving on. Gillian Jacobs, who's Britta from Community. Yeah. Seth Rogen. Yes. Stephen Young is the main guy who you might recognize as the character Glenn from The Walking Dead. Uh-huh. Never watched. I know, but he is a well-known character. Yeah, okay. Who's a South Korean actor. And uh, Sandra Oh, which was one of the Asian-American characters in Grey's Anatomy. Yes, and she's in Killing Eve. Another great series. So, amazing cast. If I was to describe the series, it's kind of like in the style of the 90s animation X-Men. So, lots of bright neon colors. Oh, that's and like cool. A very pristine world. But it's adult. This is R-rated. This is like for 18. Whoa, really? Yes. All right. It starts off with this very clean aesthetic, bright colors, but there is gore in it. It's, again, playing like the boys. The superheroes aren't squeaky clean. Mm -hmm. They all have ulterior motives. There's a murder mystery element. And I'll be honest, I watched the first bit of the episode and I thought, well, this is just playing along all the tropes of superhero movies. Like the group of superheroes is called the Guardians of the Globe. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's playing on all these stereotypes. But then like the story kicks in at the very end of the episode. And after that, it's just literally just phenomenally good. Okay, so it's already out. It's out, but it's being released week by week. So I think there's like five episodes or something. All right, that's nice. I'll look into it. And the type part of this is that it's based on a comic book series, which I think is reaching the end of its run by Robert Kirkman and the artist Corey Walker of the same name, Invincible. If you're interested in reading comics, I would recommend it. And in the same theme, there is another comic book adaptation, but this one is live action, of a series called Jupiter's Legacy, which was created by Mark Miller, who is famous for Kick-Ass. Yes, that was a fun movie. And this is also very similar in tone, in a sense that it's like a fun, realistic superhero movie. Again, a bit like The Boys. It's playing on the idea that superheroes are just as human with their character flaws as me and you. Yeah. Okay, nice. Hype and type, two in one. And Jupiter's Legacy is out on Netflix, by the way. And I think it's all out to binge if you're interested. Two recommendations for the price of one. Two two two-for-one recommendations. Speaking of superpowers, I've been playing Control on the PlayStation, the game by Remedy Entertainment. You've probably seen something about it. I'm very aware of it. I bought it in a sale. Oh, you haven't? Okay. But... I haven't got around to playing it yet. can't remember how I ended up getting it. I wanted it for a long time, and I think maybe it was one of the free games from PlayStation Plus, so then I just got around to playing it now. It's actually pretty, pretty good. The story is pretty simple. You play this woman called Jessie Faden. You enter this giant building of the Federal Bureau of Control, which, as the game progresses, you find out more and more about. To keep it very spoiler-free, this government entity researches and protects citizens from the paranormal. You enter this building because you're following basically a voice in your head that's telling you your brother, your long-lost brother, is there. The plot, very, very, in a nutshell, is you're a woman and you're looking for your brother. As you go in the building, you see that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. People basically like hanging from the ceiling and everything is very creepy and very weird. You find out that basically the whole building is being taken over by the Hiss, which is a paranormal force. And then the story progresses. The game is played in a third person point of view. 
It's kind of like a shooter kind of game, but it has some Metroidvania aspects. Most of the building is available to you from the get-go, but you can only unlock certain places as you get more powers and as you get more key cards that unlock further parts of the building. Oh my god, Des, it's really good. I saw on YouTube videos and reviews of it that the standout feature of this game is the aptly named control mechanics because you can fly around and alter the physics and that sort of stuff and manipulate the environment. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's the standout feature of the game for me. The physics in the game are incredible. It's like nothing else I've played. As the game progresses, you gain more and more powers. And for example, you start with just a little gun and then the gun evolves into different aspects. So it's like you have like a rocket launcher kind of thing, a shotgun, a laser, whatever. The standout feature of the combat is the fact that you can control the environment around you. So you can like use mind control or whatever it is to lift pieces of furniture or pieces of the floor or pieces of the wall and then just throw them at enemies. And it's so much fun. Unlike a lot of very popular third-person shooters, there's no cover. The average mechanic is you hide behind cover and then you get up and shoot and then hide again. In this game, first of all, there's no real button to snap you behind cover. Like, the game encourages you to be always on the offensive, always pushing and getting close to enemies, beating them. As your powers evolve, you can fly around and you can lift enemies and throw them at other enemies. So it's always fun to kill an enemy with another enemy. That's really, really cool. And the other thing that really does it for me is the setting. Every floor in this building has its own feel and its own atmosphere. The whole building is super creepy and super... Like, it's not a scary game, but it's creepy. It, like, kind of makes you uncomfortable. The building itself, like, it's just wonderful. It's wonderfully made. Can I ask you what you played it on? That's a very good question, actually, Des. I played it on the PS4 because that's what I have. I would not recommend to play it on on it, though. Because this game... It's from 2019, but remember Crisis when it came out? Yes. It's kind of like a crisis of this generation in the sense that when Crisis came out, there was absolutely no hardware that could play it smoothly at the highest settings. Do you remember? Yes, it became a meme, like, but does it run Crisis? Yeah, and this is the same. Like, on the PS4, it runs horribly. Textures are very blurry. It takes place all inside a building and it's an office and there's like paintings hanging from the walls. And so you get close to the paintings and they're all pixelated and the game then catches up after a few seconds and renders them. Uh. And it's just kind of like weird. And that's not the worst part. I was reading that on the PS4, it renders at 900p, which I honestly don't care. That's fine. But the worst thing for me is if you're playing in a small room, if you find yourself in a small room and there's a lot of enemies, because of the physics and because basically every object you can pick up and throw, anything on a desk, all the papers, if you like jump, the papers kind of move, like everything is kind of animated. If there's a lot going on in a small room, the game doesn't work very well. Like it skips frames. It starts to stutter. Yeah, it starts to stutter and actually pretty badly on the on the playstation i read that on the um, the xbox uh was it the one xbox one which is the equivalent to the ps4 it runs even worse so it's not 
like an absolute deal breaker. But if you have the choice, play it on something better, like on a PS5 or Xbox Series X or S or on a high-end PC. Because the graphics are insane. They're amazing. And it has one of the best lighting effects ever. I'm glad you mentioned the lighting effects. I recently bought a new laptop and this one is RTX capable. So it's got a decent graphic card. And one of the reasons for this is because obviously I wanted to catch up with the current generation of games. And Control is one of the games which showcases RTX technology. That is basically ray tracing. And what is ray tracing? Ray tracing is that the game will process in real time sources of light as genuine rays of light. So they bounce off surfaces. So you'll get better reflections, you'll get better shadows, and it just feels more real because, as Marco mentioned, it's a dynamic environment with dynamic lighting effects and dynamic reflections. As you can imagine, in a building with lots of light and glass, RTX is not quite night and day, but it's just on another level when it's on. My initial plan was to play it on uh, GeForce Now, the cloud gaming service, which will allow me to play with the top-end settings as part of my subscription. Yeah, I would definitely recommend that. I'm enjoying it, or I've enjoyed it on the PlayStation 4, but at the same time, it can be better. But anyway, so the atmosphere of the game is, is great. The controls are great. It's just a fun game to play because of all the powers that you get. There's some rooms that have puzzles. So there's like a little bit of everything. There's like a lot of action, a lot of combat. It's mixed with sort of like downtime where you need to figure out where to go. And the map itself isn't very straightforward. You're not told this is where you need to go and then follow the checkpoints. You're left to figure some things out by yourself. Not to the levels of like Breath of the Wild, but you know what I mean. Yeah, so it's not quite an open world sort of game or even a sandbox where you can do whatever you want. No. But at the same time, it gives you some scope for exploration. For example, there's key cards and there's like various levels of key cards, one through six. Early in the game, you kind of need to remember which rooms require higher key cards so then you can go back to them, like in classic Metroidvania style. And that's the good stuff. The bad stuff is I think this game deserves to be played on good hardware. PlayStation 4, I would say, if you can, skip it. The combat, while fun, it can get repetitive. There's like seven, eight, nine types of enemies, and it's just the same ones over and over and over. To the point that now I've finished the main story and I'm doing all the side quests, when you're just crossing the map because you just want to get to another place to start another side quest or to finish another side quest, and enemies pop up because they spawn sort of everywhere, I get tired. Like, I don't want to fight them. I just want to keep going and get it over You want with. to make friends. Like, uh, enough fighting. <laughs> exactly. Like, like, guys, let's talk it out. Let's have a beer. Let's listen to a good podcast. <laughs> exactly. So I feel like the combat gets a little bit repetitive. I love games with a good plot. That's my main driver usually. In this case, like at the beginning, it's very simple. You spend basically the first half of the game having like absolutely no clue what's going on. You just follow kind of directions. You're like, go to this area of the building and something will happen. And then you do that. And then as the story unfolds, like it kind of builds up to like a big climax, which never comes. Like the ending is actually really weak. To the point that I, I finished the main story and I didn't un, I, I didn't realize until the end credits came up. <laughs> like, it's just like, okay, you finished the mission. And then I was like, wait, why why are there credits? And why, uh, why did I just play this game? What happened? I think the game kind of realizes as well because I got the end credits, saw the credits, and they were like, okay, just keep going. And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And finally, the story gets a little bit difficult to get into. Like, there's a lot of lore and a lot of elements to the plot, stuff that goes also around it. There's also references to other Remedy games, like Alan Wake, which I heard is good, but I've never played it. But the whole story, and I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, is almost told through documents that you pick up. So every time you have to stop and read them. And I would do that for the first day that I played it. And then I was just like picking up documents and then just leaving them there. Like I, like I didn't feel like reading the plot. Just tell me what the plot is. But one thing about the ending that can be good, the fact that it's so weak makes it easy for you to continue playing it. Whenever I played, let's say, Red Dead Redemption, I finished it. And then I was kind of like, I don't want to get into this anymore. Even though you can still use the whole world to yourself and do whatever you want. In this case, it's so weak that you barely notice it and you just keep going and just keep playing it for fun rather than to unfold the rest of the plot. If I understand correctly, you're saying it's definitely a game to try. Amazing graphics, probably groundbreaking. Good execution. Bit repetitive with the availability of enemies and gameplay mechanisms and could have had a better story. Yes, well summed up. But the technical ability of the game is worth it alone. It's like nothing I've ever played. And that's what makes it fun. Cool. So I will probably get around to playing it. And is it a long game? It has a solid single player campaign. A what single player campaign? I'm sorry. It has a good (laughs) (laughs) single player campaign. As in, like, it's not too short that you'll just blink and miss it. And it's not too long that you'll get bored of it. Good length as well then. Yeah, yeah. Like I said before, um, I think I'm like 15, 20 hours in. And I'm just playing for fun. Like, it's good talking about things which are of a good length i think we reached the end of the episode marco how was your beer it's very good i really like it it's a wheat beer it's very like light and fresh this uh, virgin beer it's uh, very good i like it i'm gonna give it you know four and a half no let's do five out of six wow that's pretty high yeah i really like it it's very good so that's like our highest wheat beer is it yeah we've had quite a few haven't we i think i had one last week even but what about yours? Your OG Jane? What was it? OG. OG Hazy Jane. Yeah. So it's a New England IPA. And as the name implies, it's a very hazy beer. And it's quite strong at 7.2%. Wow. It's actually a very good IPA. I do like it. I'm going to give it a safe 4.5 out of a six pack. What's a safe 4.5? <laughs> Sorry, a very good Quoting someone else, a very good (laughs) 4.5 out of a full six-pack. All right, that's how you want to leave our audience, without a solid score. We've had our solid review for today. (laughs) Yeah, so today we talked a little bit about how you should not listen... To Marco. Yeah, you should not listen to anything you hear on the internet, especially if I'm the one saying it. Then we celebrated Yuri Gagarin Day and mankind's historic first flight on the Earth. Des mentioned a couple of Netflix and Amazon series that he's hyped about and that are both superhero themed. And then we talked about my experience playing Control on the PlayStation 4. On that note, I think we can wrap it up. Like always, find us on Instagram at Des and Marco and Twitter at Des and Marco. Is there any other platform with that it? I think we're kind of giving up on YouTube. If you want us to keep the YouTube channel alive, we want 1,000 of you to watch our next video. Otherwise, it's getting abandoned. All right, so it's getting abandoned. Thank you again for listening, and I'll speak to you next week. See you next time, guys. P-Tech Mechanical.
You know you're listening.